Colin, how are you doing today? I'm good, Harry. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and I'm excited to uh, chat with Gail. I've got a funny story about her bio that I'll uh, hopefully bring up at some point, but I'm going to let you read off her bio, and then we'll get into it. All right. Well, Gail, great to have you. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we're super excited. Um, well, let me, uh, I mean, among certain circles, I'm sure you need no introduction, but uh, I'll do it for all the the new folks out there. Um uh, Gail is the, the founder and managing partner at Vitalize, a uh, seed fund angel community investing in transformative work tech software. Um, she's got a ton of stuff on her resume, which is super impressive, but she's uh, a founder of uh, Irish Angels, one of the largest angel groups in the world. Um, she's also led 70 plus million early stage deals across 125 plus portfolio companies, which just blows my mind. Um, I don't know if I could keep track of that. Um, she's also made 50 personal angel investments and, you know, prior to the VC world and investing, um, she founded two HR tech startups, um, consulting for new product launches with Nielsen and data strategy for orbits. I mean, what a career, super awesome. And, uh, I know I'm excited to dive in and all, all things investing. Cause I think you just have this really unique experience. Um, doesn't really resonate with their audience. So it's great. Yeah. They, they tell me I've been doing it for a decade, which is. <laughs> kind of a long time to, to say that a decade. But yeah, yeah. I just had my 10 year wedding anniversary and that's a decade that so a long time to too. congrats. Yeah. Thank you. You can, you can do some damage in 10 years. And, uh, you know, when I was researching your bio, Gail, I'm not going to lie. I said, Irish angels. Wow. That's really cool. I didn't know that there was a whole community for pe people from Ireland that are investing in deals. I look it up and I say, Oh, that Irish from Notre Dame. Okay. Now I'm, uh, it makes more sense. <laughs> so just FYI, I don't know if I'm the first person who's ever made that mistake, but I'm owning it. <laughs> no, you, you are not, but we are very friendly. <laughs> with folks in Ireland. So we, we love everyone. Uh, all right. Well, Gail, we, I mean, we'd love to just like jump into the top level and just hear kind of like your unique story of getting into angel investing, you know, wherever that started and however you got there, we just love to hear it and your learnings from it. Yes. I was finishing business school in 2012 and had the opportunity to meet some of the initial board members at Irish Angels. And they said, hey, we've wanted to start an angel investment network affiliated with Notre Dame for a long time. We you know, don't really know how to get that started, but maybe you're somebody that could help us figure it out. And I, I happened to have three months of loan money left. And so I said, okay, if we can figure it out in three months, you know, I'll work for free during that time and do all the research and talk to a bunch of people and see what we can do. And it worked. And we found the 40 people in that amount of time. And so um, at the very end of 2012, we really launched the organization and at that point, I had to figure things out. I'd never thought about venture before, but I really loved early stage and starting an organization that helps others get their businesses off the ground through capital infusion was a very interesting opportunity for me personally. I talked to a bunch of other VCs. How do we find deals? How do we pick deals? How do we do the diligence? How do we help the companies? How do we build out this investor base? I just had to learn all those things and, and do trial and error and continue to iterate until we had a process that worked really, really well. And then, um, you know, in 2017, I was approached by some folks who'd invested with me before and said, we want to buy a basket of your deals because we kind of miss some of them. When you're an angel, you do you know, hit, you hit and miss. So you might do some deals, but you might opt to not do de other deals. And with a fund, you are effectively buying um, a pool of, of 
opportunities that a fund manager picks. And so that's when I started to think about starting a fund. And around the same time, one of my um one of my friends in Chicago was raising money for her startup and she came to me and said, "Will you invest $5,000?" And I actually personally had never thought about investing, which is interesting because I was around investment for so long. It, it was four years before I actually did my first investment. And once I did, I realized, you know, I should be doing this more. Um, and after that time, I figured out a strategy personally where I wanted to invest somewhere between three and 10 um, deals per year. And they're low dollar amounts. Uh, one to $10,000 is what I personally invest but I, I realized that I have such good access to private opportunities that I really should be building a personal portfolio, um, which is very separate from the institutional work that I do on behalf of others. Got it. What, what do you think is a good impetus for someone starting to angel invest? Like you said, you know, is it, you know, monetary? Is it sort of wanting to learn? Like what was your kind of main impetus? You said that you kind of had this aha moment. It was interesting that you kind of did it for four years with Irish angels, but never thought of, um, you know, making a personal investment yourself, it sounds like. Well, one, I didn't have money. Um, yeah. because I <laughs> that does hold you back from angel investing yeah, at times, money. right? Um, so I... I had to pay for business school and I, I tried very hard after I left business school to pay it off as fast as I could. And so I, I didn't really have money for a while, but, um, you know, there's, there's a, a set of things that I always try and advise around when somebody is interested in angel investing. And that's mm. number one, are you even interested in it? Yeah. If you're, if you're truly like, Oh, I, I think this is boring or dumb or whatever. Like that's totally fine. This is not for everyone. But if your interest is sparked at all, then you have to think about, okay, is this right for me? And number one, you have to have some money. And I, I have a formula that I walk people through, um, which is effectively after you pay for your expenses and you save a little bit of money for a rainy day and you have other investments in, let's say the public markets or real estate or whatever you want, what is left? And typically it's somewhere between 10 and 50% of investable cash can reasonably go into angel or VC investing. So if you make a hundred thousand and you've got 30,000 left after all of your expenses and saving, and you put a little in the stock market, you might say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to use the 30,000 per year. Well, you want to build a portfolio over time so that you're diversified because a few of the deals are what's going to return everything. So you might say the 30,000 divided by five deals that I want to do per year. I know that I need to invest about $6,000 per deal. Mm -hmm. So I, I now have the math where it's like, okay, I'm going to do five or six deals at five to $6,000 each. I'm going to do that for a number of years. That's going to give me 25 to 30 companies after five years. And I will have enough of a diversified portfolio, assuming that I have good deal sourcing that I should, you know, three X my capital. That's really the goal for angel investors is to at least three exit. Um, how long do you tell people that they should think to do this? You know, the, I think it's easy to make that first year commitment, but should they be in this, you know, you got to do this one, you know, five years in a row or. I would say at a minimum do 10 deals, very mm -hmm. minimum. Um, so at least do it for a couple of years. What I, what I have seen across other angel groups, um, when I look at the data from the angel capital association is that a lot of times people will invest heavily for three years and then they're like, well, I've kind of invested out, right. I have a bunch of companies that I did. I now have this portfolio and I want to wait until it's harvested before I do another one. That's one approach. I personally believe it's really important to continue year by year because every single year has different macro right. impacts. 
So for me, you know, I would like to do between three and 10 a year, like, and I'll be honest, like this year I'm light last year I was heavy, but that's okay. It's all going to even out. Um, as long as I'm consistently doing the same amount into deals over time that match what I'm personally interested in, which is the second part of what I teach. What do you even like? You don't have to invest in everything, but you shouldn't like figuring out what you really like is the fun part of angel investing. Yeah. Hmm. Um, in terms of like, you know, I think, you know, I think something that you kind of mentioned along here is kind of like access. Um, it sounds like that was like, you know, really important to you as you kind of think about the future um, and everything you're doing. Maybe talk to us a little bit about that, um, you know, in terms of like what you're doing next uh, with Vitalize and things like that. Yes. Um, I think it's extremely important that we invite more people to the table. And so this idea of access or democratizing access to this asset class is hugely important for so many reasons. Um, for example, underrepresented check writers are much more likely to invest in underrepresented founders. And we know today that there is a huge issue in terms of such a small percentage of dollars going to underrepresented founders. I really think the unlock is empowering more underrepresented check writers. Um, but how do we do that? If we think about venture capital today, um, it is a very entrenched industry in systemic, um, you know, historic norms. What I mean by that is there's a set of institutional LPs that invest in a set of institutional GPs that invest in founders. And these tend to be the same networks over and over and over again. And we tell new GPs and we tell angels, you got to invest alongside these big funds because those are the only deals that matter. If you really stop and think about what that's saying, it is limiting innovation and it is also driving up prices for those deals. So I really don't understand why we're so hell bent on that. Um, it doesn't make any sense from like an economic perspective. And there's all these other founders out there that truly have cool stuff, but they're not getting a look because they're not in the quote, right networks. And the way that we, we start to change all of that is we give people opportunities who haven't historically had the opportunities to write checks, whether that's angels or GPs, hopefully more LPs come into the space as well too. And that flows downhill to founders. Founders have exits they create more of those check writers. And this just has to happen again and again and again. And over time, slowly, we will start to see the numbers change. So my hope within you know, our organization is to reduce barriers. So more people have a seat at the table. And the way that we've done that is we allow both accredited and non-accredited investors to participate in our angel network, which is called Vitalize Angels. Um, the fee is very low. So most angel groups charge somewhere between two and $6,000 per year. Our fee is $149 per quarter. And that's also waived if you're happy, if you happen to be a master's student anywhere mm. in the world right now, you get a free year to check it out. Um, because we want people to have just eyes on what's going on and have the opportunity to sit in the room and listen. Um, and then the other thing that we do is we let people invest as low as a thousand dollars per deal. So we've really tried to holistically create a scenario where most people who have good jobs and have a salary where they're able to save a little bit of money, if they so choose, they can say, you know what, I want to do two or three angel deals a year and I want to put a thousand dollars in each one. And over time, I'm actually going to be able to develop my own angel portfolio. And that allows them to get at bats and it allows them to learn so that lo and behold, in 10 years, when now they're a partner at a law firm or they are a senior analyst at a bank or a tech company, and they're making really good money, 
they feel comfortable writing the bigger checks. Yeah, um, I, I definitely like that. And I mean, I think the the minimum of $1,000 is very cool. What do you think is sort of the biggest value prop maybe for someone joining is it they get to invest alongside experience that you remove a lot of the fees or the hassle or what do you think is kind of the number one thing uh, you know i guess really why people are joining um, but also like what like is it the thing that you're hearing from your members that they're getting the most out of so any angel group in general it is attractive to a lot of individual angels because of community mm-hmm. so there's there's network there's camaraderie but there's also learning So one of the things that I've seen in the last 10 years is that most people believe that they're not smart enough to angel invest. And so uh, when they get to sit in the room and hear others' perspectives, they, they increase their confidence around a deal. Maybe they don't have experience in this particular market, but two other people in the room do. And by listening to them and having individual conversations with five or six other people, they get confidence to to cross that bridge and actually write the check. So I think that's really the most important thing with any angel group. And with ours in particular, um, you know, we're really just trying to make it inclusive. This is not only for underrepresented founders. This truly is for everyone. And our our goal is to um, is to rewrite the paradigm here. And I hope other people copy us. In fact, we've published everything so people can copy us. Um, they're not, which is <laughs> unfortunate. But um, you know, I think that we're starting to see a tipping point within our organization where people that are sticking around, they really like it because not only do they have access to the deals that we vet. So we look at 500 a month, we show them one, the very wow. best. One. We do diligence, right? So like, they get, they get the the decade worth of experience that we have for not very many dollars, but they stick around because they like being part of this movement, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe they're an experienced angel and they're involved in a number of angel groups and we're just one of them, but we're very different in the sense that their participation with us helps others have the opportunity to get started. So there's this impact piece, which is really cool and, and differentiated. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things that really kind of was um, that kind of hit me when you were talking about the the flywheel that you're creating here of uh, you know investing in underrepresented founders. Those founders build companies that take some time, and then they have exits. L- majority of the people we interview here are like previously exited founders that are now just going back to the well to do it. You know, help other people shoot their shot. And I think that you know that really hits home for me is that this is like a longer term game of building an ecosystem. And that there's some like self-reinforcing loops, right? That like people that were successful with one way of doing it are now going to go back and help other people be successful at that. And that's how you kind of create that capital concentration. Then hopefully other LPs come in and then you really get like, like you said, a thriving ecosystem. Um, that's super exciting. I I like that philosophy is all, uh, all I want to say. Um, talk to us a little bit about uh, like doing the non-accredited investors. I mean, I think that's something that I don't see at all from other people like I know there's, you know, certain fun types you can do that. Like, tell us about the hoops there. Was that really hard to do? Not so bad? I, I'm just intrigued to learn a little bit more since it's yeah, so not. Yeah. It's a good question. So we have 450 people in our angel group. So quite a, quite a few at this point. Um, about half are credited and half are not accredited. The uh, Here's the real difference. And it's uh, for anybody in the SEC who's listening, please take <laughs> note of this. Um there's unfortunately adverse selection that happens when you're talking about crowdfunding sites. Um, so what what the regulators at this point have said is 
If you're not accredited, you can invest um, at a minimum $2,200 per year, and it can go up to about $10,000, depending on where you're at from an income perspective. Once you hit over $200,000, you're accredited, as long as that's your personal income in the last two years. So then you can do whatever you want with your money. But until you get to that level, it's $2,200 up to about ten. Um, so that's kind of, if I'm a non-accredited investor in Vitalized Angels, that's what I have to think about. So for those investors, you know, it's like, it's just like everybody else. They can invest in whatever they want at whatever amount, as long as they don't go over the the issues. And our partner, WeFunder manages all that part because we are not brokers. We do not take a fee. We do not take carry. We cannot legally do that because we work mm-hmm. with non-accredited investors. Here, here's the rub that the SEC really needs to understand. The founders want to work with our group. Almost every single founder that we tell about this group loves the mission. They love the fact that they can sit and do a presentation in front of such a diverse and really cool group of people, but they have to jump through hoops. So they have to file what's called the form C. They have to wait 21 days to get their money. And they also have to share their financials. And these three things do not have to happen if you raise from only accredited individuals. Hmm. So what, what does that mean for a founder? Well, if they can raise money from others, they're going to do it. And what that means is non-accredited are kind of getting the short end of the stick, right? Yeah. And that's not the intent that the SEC had, but it is in practice what is occurring. So they really need to rethink this. And one of the one of the things that we're working with WeFunder on is because we are using our acumen and our networks and our resources, our diligence to take it from 500 deals to one that these um, investors have the opportunity to invest in. That's very different than them just going on a blanket site and seeing a thousand deals and trying to pick one. Like they should, we should not have to make the founders jump through the hoops um, that the SEC requires when we're using our model, but our model is new. And, you know, we, we have to basically work within the confines that we have today. And we're very thankful that 11 founders have been willing to, to do it and work with us. And there are actually some really, really good companies in there. So, um, we, we have defied the odds and we're still doing good deals, even though there's this extra stuff that the founders have to do. Yeah. Yeah. I know I've seen some angels talk about, um, you know, kind of removing the accreditation rules for angel investments. How do you feel there? Do you think that in order to make an angel investment, uh, everyone should have to be accredited or no, or some kind of combo where, you know, you guys are kind of vetting 500 deals and kind of in a partnership? I would love to see more VCs tag on angels, right? Like Hustle Fund does it. We do it. There's a few others that do it. Um, Founders Fund, I believe, has their angel um, angel syndicate. How do we leverage these already working networks and approaches and systems and processes to help individual angels better access and better diligence and better pick deals? It's already there. I mean, it makes so much sense that we should be letting this happen, but um, it's kind of a new thing, relatively speaking, when you think about VC having started decades and decades ago, this really has only been happening for a couple of years and we need to catch up. And I I hope that more um, VCs end up doing it because it's actually also smart to build community because these angels want to roll up their sleeves and help the companies, which is a win-win for everybody. Yeah. I, I mean, we, um, the episode that went out today was with Brian Nichols of uh, the angel squad and, we learned a lot from him about that. And I, I just love seeing the different flavors of how people are doing this and going about it, but it's all about access. You know, like one of the things I like that they do is they allow, they'll pay for your license if you want to get it. So you can become accredited. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then I like that you're doing the non-accredited routes, just like different, right? And like different ways of solving the problem. And I really, I really enjoy that because I also believe um, deeply that, you know, restricting access to early stage startups that need it the most is like just really restrictive for growth for our economy and for like, you know, technology and innovation. I just think it's a bad idea that we make it so difficult to innovate. Right. I just, I, I know, blows my mind. Um, you know, one topical thing around WeFunder uh, was, you know, Substack went out yesterday um, with their WeFunder and I, I got an education. I, I have a Substack account as does Harry. And I was like, Oh, you can invest in, um, and, and Substack now. And so I went down the rabbit hole of looking at valuations, all of that and trying to decide. And, um, but I did think one of the really interesting things, like you pointed out, was they have to release their financials afterwards and that they take a, um, instead of um, right, like upfront, it's more of a, hey, like a commitment rather than it is the actual investment. And so they kind of avoid having to put the financials up front. Um, do you think that's like, I find that a little bit disingenuous uh, or not like, I wouldn't say disingenuous, but just not ideal for people to not have full information. Um, how do you think about that? Well, the way that we do it is we show full information up front. So I I have not actually done a deal outside of our group. I've done all of the deals within our group. Um, I agree with you. I mean, I think you really need to understand the full picture of a company. And that's why working with a VC's process makes so much sense. We know how to do diligence. We do a complete memo every time. They're able to to see things like financials and the competitive landscape and the market size and how we think about the team and how we think about the product and what we think the exit opportunities are. Um, And that's packaged very nicely for them. If that's not there, what crowdfunding can become is a marketing contest. Who is the best marketer? Who has the coolest stuff? Who has the most hype? Who has the most other people coming in? And it becomes this game of follow along whatever the coolest thing is, which is the wrong way to invest. Yeah, I I really like that. And I kind of think back to a a situation I shared with Colin where I knew a founder and I was just so excited about the company. They came to raise this round and asked me if I wanted to invest. And I was like, yes, I'm in. Let's do this. I told the founder. And then I was like, oh, wait, crap. I forgot to ask them, like, what's their cash in the bank and what's their bird? And some of the like very standard due diligence. And this was only a few weeks ago. So I'm totally owning it that like I got so excited over this deal and the opportunity to invest. And I'd already verbally committed. And I feel like that's sort of where having that adult in the room, you know, the VC who's done hundreds of deals and, you know, really, uh, you know, understands like, hey, these are the things you have to ask for every deal and kind of refines that process. So it got me kind of thinking, I would love to know from you, what are some of the common mistakes that you see angel investors, uh, maybe new or maybe even experienced ones making that you're trying to help with over at Vitalize Angels? Well, I mean, I can share some of my my mistakes. Um, Let's do it. And I, I mean, remember I've made many because when you add up all my deals, I'm close to 200 um, yeah. and institutionally. So, you know, personally where, where I have run into problems is when I go outside of my strategy. So my strategy really should be about five deals a year, about $5,000 each. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a little more than a year ago, I put $25,000 into a company where I really love the space. But the co-founders ended up blowing up and I lost that within like nine months or something. And I was sitting there kicking myself because I'm like, I never do this. Yeah. And um, because of how loss aversion works and our psychology as humans, like we really, really, really should stick to that 5,000. 
because yeah. if that company had done well, I wouldn't be sitting there kicking myself being like, why didn't I do 25,000? I'd be saying, man, I'm so glad I'm in this deal. <laughs> and so you see the difference of like when we mess up and when we get it right at the end of the day, we, we should try to get into the deal. That's going to a thousand X. That means we want more shots on goal. And that means we should really think about very strategically putting our money um, in an even fashion across an, as many deals as we can and have a systematic process for accessing what we think is a good set of deals. So that that was my most recent failure. Um, when I think about the institutional deals that I've done, I can add a lot more to that. And, um, you know, I... I really hate that I'm going to say this, but I think one of the safest ways to invest is that there are a number of other VCs involved. So um, I've done a lot of deals and sometimes it's just a bunch of angels. Um, it's a bunch of people who haven't really done a lot of investing that can sometimes work, but remember everything we're doing in investing, there's a normal distribution. Okay. So like we can get out into the tails one way or the other, <laughs> But I really think about what is going to give me the highest probability of hitting the center of that normal distribution. And when I look at what has worked historically across all those deals, there need to be a couple of adults in the room from the VC side because they have really vetted the opportunity. Now, I don't care about the brand cachet. I care that the partner is good. So like a lot of the VCs that I work with, they're small VCs like us. They're um, amazing and talented individuals with awesome networks who really care about this stuff and they make really good investment decisions. So it doesn't have to be a brand name like Sequoia or Excel. Don't think that way, but think, you know, you want a couple of VCs involved and that's a really good place for a lot of angels to start. It doesn't guarantee success, but I think anecdotally from everything that I've looked at, that's one of the places where angels really can mess up is when they feel like, oh, I'm just going to do this deal myself and only myself or with other angels who really don't do a lot of investment. I'd stay away from that. Yeah. The, I guess the way I think about that is like, because you do got to be careful, right? It's like sometimes being the first check is where you get the biggest gain, right? And so like there's a conviction element here, but I also do think there's like, a, will this company be able to raise a sufficient amount of capital to meet their goals. And I think that's like maybe what I hear in this instead of like, you know, follow other people is more of like, you know, is this round going to come together in a way such that they can prove out what they say they're going to prove out and find out and hit the numbers. Right. Like that's to me, like how I think about that. I don't know if that sounds right to you, but. Um, I, mean, it's, I think it's part of it, but I, I do think a new angel should not be most of the time committing the first check. Oh like, Yeah. Yeah, got it. When, once you're experienced or if you're around a lot of deal flow, like you guys could probably do it. I could probably do it. There's a lot of other angels that could probably do it. But when I think about this education for folks who are just getting started, um, I like to put the guardrails on it for them a little bit so that it increases their chance of success. Because what we want is we want them over a couple of years to see that some of their companies are doing well. Um, some might go to zero, but at least some of them need to be doing well. So like, oh, wow, I understand now what this looks like. And they have to feel that excitement. And from there, I think some people really lean in and can get to the point, which is what you're talking about, which is maybe the even more fun way to angel invest. Like what Harry just said, hey, take my money. <laughs> yeah. I have so much conviction. I'm ready to write you a check right now. 
I'll be honest. I mean, I think, uh, Gail, I love the experience that you've gained over 10 years. And I'm over here thinking to myself, like in my main business, my media business covering rideshare in the gig economy, I've got about 10 years and I feel a similar level of confidence as you do with investing on the angel side. Like I've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars and dozens of deals over the past three, four years. Like I feel like I'm not even close to that level um, yet of like 10 years of mastery. And so I think that's kind of what's a little scary, exciting and fun all uh, sort of rolled into one. But I think definitely one thing that I've kind of been doing a lot more of lately is um, like, I'm an optimist. I feel like every startup I look at, I love the idea. I love the founder and, you know, a lot of things look good to me. I've been sending the deals to more experienced VCs who I've met over the years. And I actually, I'll give a shout out to my friend, um, Chris uh, Nakutis Taylor, who runs a fund here in LA called Nomad. And I just sent him a deal that I was looking at. And he kind of brought up like a lot of negatives to the deal. And I was like, you know what, this is I'm very glad that I sent it to him because I was kind of, you know, on the fence. And he really like illuminated and this was one that was right up his alley and rideshare and gig economy and, you know, micro mobility that he has a lot of experience in and he's now a VC. And, you know, so I've sort of been doing that with every deal that I'm looking at, like trying to send to two to three people who might be able to provide either, you know, like an experienced industry perspective or an experienced VC perspective or just something different than what I can bring. And that's sort of been helping me a lot lately. Yeah the the whole 10 year thing is like a kind of interesting because i i was looking back and i've been doing like operator side startups for like over 10 years now but i was like oh i mean this is something i know now like having gone from like second third employee all the way to like 400 500 employees in multiple companies and all in marketplaces and platforms like mostly um b2c and it's like that fairway i know like I don't even have to think like I can look at something really quickly and be like, okay, this is a total flop. Uh, or at least I think it's a total flop uh, or the founders know what they're talking about. They have a good chance. And like, I feel really confident there, but if I go into like hardware, even like enterprise SaaS, like anything else, I'm like, I don't know anything. And maybe that's cause I know, I feel like I know a lot about a certain subject, but I kind of know that like, I just don't know anything and I would need someone else. Like I would need someone that's expert to help me guide even making a good decision about these things. And so that resonates a lot with me and when we start talking about it like decades of experience uh and being able to do that so uh yeah one question for you um in, in terms of angel investing like who do you look up to who's the i mean who you know do you have any mentors do you have any people that you go to um tell us about it i would call many of the angels that i worked with um since 2012 and irish angels you know friends and mentors and kind of like learned with them and from them. Um, I have a lot of peers that I talk with. Often there are other GPs, a lot of them do angel deals as well. Um, you know, and then, you know, read a lot of other folks stuff. I think Chris Saka is obviously a very good investor. Um, you know, like in terms of folks who are very active right now, because Chris really isn't, is Elizabeth Yin. Um, I, I love hustle funds approach. Um, I used to read Brad Feld's stuff a lot when he was producing a lot of content. I, I very much agree with his philosophy on a lot of things. Um, so there's, you know, there's really people everywhere. And I, I believe that even within Vitalize Angels, you know, I might be the person that's running a meeting, but there's always me people sitting in every single room that know more than I do. And that's where, that's where this community aspect of angel investing is really interesting because Colin, what you just mentioned about having operator experience, you know, I don't have the same type of experience 
and marketplace. And so if you can share that with me on a marketplace deal, I actually love to do a lot of different industries from my angel portfolio, because in my institutional professional portfolio, it's very specific around B2B work tech. So I like to do stuff that's fun and like marketplace (laughs) consumer and all this stuff is fun personally. So that, that is um, something that I think a lot of new angels don't understand is that each of us has something unique to bring to the table. And if we do it um, collectively, you know, there's, there's a lot of magic that can be created. Hmm. Uh, I love that. The uh, one of the last uh, episodes that came out was uh, from uh, Andrew Rudos, a founder. He, um, he kind of like said that he likes to invest in areas he wants to learn about, right? Like he's not necessarily the expert, but like that, you know, that check is kind of a seat at the table, get those investor updates, learn from the best. Like, I mean, these founders, like they live it every day. And so I don't, I, I like that philosophy. And it sounds like you have a similar kind of um, philosophy yeah. there. Angels want to make money. They want to learn. They want to have cool stuff to talk about yeah. and they want to have fun. So like, and that, that I like the fun part. Angels want to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Angels it's, just want to have fun. It's so true. And it was a surprise for me starting Irish Angels, but it was my job to find really good deals. But I also needed to make sure everybody had a great experience and had fun. Hmm. All right. Well, this was like super illuminating discussion. I, I really loved it. Um I think we're going to go into our what I consider one of our most fun sections, uh, our trending our trending Twitter threads. Wow, look um, at that transition right there, Colin. And you know, Gail is active on Twitter too, so I think she might like this section. Oh yeah, I mean, Gail, you got some good hot takes on there, and I'm hoping we can get some more of them today. Um, Harry, you want to read the first one? Sure. Uh, I just brought it up on the screen for those who are watching on YouTube. So some of this is from Ed Su. Uh, Hi, Ed. So, hey, what's up, Ed? Uh, do you know him? <laughs> <laughs> He's a seed investor at Alpine.vc. Um, some of the best deals in VC right now are seed extensions. Some companies are truly working, not yet Series A ready, but have a clear line of sight to getting there in six to nine months. Now, this conflicts with some opinions we've had on the podcast before. So I wanted to get your take, Gail. What do you think? Do you agree with Ed uh, or uh, what do you what do you think? Okay, so Ed, for Ed's strategy, that is so true. And this is where a lot of people don't understand how many strategies there are in VC. Um Ed is a contrarian investor in some ways where he's really looking for you know diamonds in the rough that have really, really, really strong fundamentals. And so he he can find strong fundamentals that are getting overlooked by other VCs. And he figures out a way to pick the ones that are going to rise and be able to get on a really interesting path. Um, for other types of VC strategies, it's probably not true. Um, and I say that because... Uh, founders can find themselves in no person's land if they do not hit their metrics. Each funding is um, associated with a set of milestones. So if I raise money here, I need to hit my milestones to get to the next level of funding. Well, a lot of founders end up here in the middle because they did some of it, but they didn't hit everything with the money that they raised. And now they need more money, which is called a seed extension. Um, It really depends on why they didn't hit their metrics and what's going on because you know, I, as a seed investor, I have to make sure that there's a true market need. That means a willingness to pay by the customers and the product has to be good enough to be meeting that need. 
and the founders understand go-to-market strategy and they're starting to execute on it. So typically when a founder in my world, so this remember not Ed's world, but my world mm-hmm. gets stuck there, oftentimes it's because they have not found product market fit. And if there's no product market fit, we should not be investing in them unless we, for some reason, there's data that's showing me that they're now on the right path and they weren't before. So that's why it's in, hmm. it's incredibly important for founders to be laser focused on finding product market fit and finding revenue within that product market fit as fast as possible and use that capital that they're raising as conscientiously as they can to achieve those things. Yeah. And I mean, I think this, with a lot of startups that I'm working with uh, and invested in, the seed to A kind of spot seems to be, you know, where a lot are getting stuck in this funding environment. You know, maybe they're pre-revenue and now they need revenue or whatever it might be. I've had a couple uh, companies that have raised basically, you know, I guess you would call a bridge round or an extension from their previous investors. What are you kind of seeing in this spot? And, you know, what, what about the, some of the companies that you've looked at or are working with? What are you doing with them in this spot? So, you know, I'll tell you what I tell our founders up front is we are a small fund. Mm-hmm. You know, close 21 million um, out of our second fund. And we invest somewhere between 250 and $750,000 into typically the seed stage. We tell them there is some capital that we have allocated for follow-on, but you must be growing. So that's strong month-over-month growth rates, like at least 15, if not plus 30% month-over-month. And you must at least be two, if not three Xing year over year at the point when, you know, and when we invest, there's already a little bit of revenue. Um, if they are not doing that, I tell them like, there's likely, you know, not going to be follow on money from us because we don't have deep pockets and every founder should be upfront when they take investment, understanding what the follow on strategy of all of their investors are, including angels. Um, some angels do follow on, some do not. And then if things go sideways or they're taking longer, the founders really have to understand how they're going to deal with that. Um, And so when I think about investing in founders, I really ask a lot of questions around how they're going to use that capital. And I try to find ones that can be capital efficient because that's going to extend their runway to figure out product market fit. And if if they don't figure out product market fit after I invest, like there's really nothing there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That was great. Uh, Let's go on to the next thread. Um, so this one is from uh, David Bell, um, really highlighting some data here, but uh, interesting that seed slash angel investing is up 3% year over year and all the other stages down heavily uh, mm-hmm. from at CBS Insights. Um, this was new to me. It came out like a few hours ago, this tweet. So um, breaking news on the podcast. Breaking That's how news. we roll. Uh, <laughs> Gail, what I mean, what do you make of it? Uh, we just talked about Series A, and uh, clearly the growth rounds are just like getting hammered um, there further out the curve. Um, but it seems it like things are good. It makes perfect sense because, like, the seed and A, there's really not any change. Mm-hmm. And I see that every day because, you know, my peers who have funds, we're all still deploying just like we were. Um, What's happened is a lot of the capital and, and the multi-stage funds that do series B, C, D plus, or corporates that were playing in that space or family offices or hedge funds or whoever was targeting these late stage rounds where literally they want to come in and they want to they want to 2X their money really fast. 
Well, what happened is everybody got way out over their skis in the last two years. And now they're all like, holy crap, I have to hold on to my money because what we just did was really not effective. In fact, I just lost that value. And so that's why you're seeing a compression there, but it's really a return to where it should be. So like, this is not concerning to me. This is not surprising. This is a reset in the industry. Just, just what we talked about, right? A lot of companies don't find product market fit and we have been funneling money into companies that haven't hit product market fit, but yeah, you can find growth if you are raising a ton of VC dollars, but that's, that's maybe not real growth. That's not real product market fit. And now we're seeing a, a leveling of these companies that never really figured it out. And we're resetting the entire VC chain to, to make sure that we are only investing in late stage and companies that truly are creating value and have achieved product market fit. Yeah. And I think that uh, this sort of year, you know, Q4 2022 uh, and Q4 21 year over year comparison, if you look at the peak in 2022 Q2, um, you know, it's down quite a bit, right? Like plus 3%. I was like, oh, that's it. Um, but if you look at from the peak down, you know, so sort of definitely seems like seed down a little bit, but, you know, those numbers are all sort of even greater from the peaks for sure. So um, I think uh, that is it for the trending uh, Twitter threads today. Really appreciate you coming on, Gail, and sharing your perspective. It was cool to hear uh, about Vitalize. I think we'll definitely uh, be sending some listeners and viewers your way. If folks want to learn more about what you're doing with Vitalize Angels and potentially join the program, follow you on Twitter, where should they go? What should they do? Yeah. If you're curious in checking out a an angel group in a really safe way, you know, just join for a quarter. Um, we have a cohort program that we just launched in March, which is going really well. And we'll do another one that starts April 14th. There is an oh, application cool. on our website, which is vitalize.vc. Um, mm -hmm. And then you can select the angels or you can just go to vitalizeangels.com. I'm pretty active on Twitter. So you can find me at GaleForceVC. And I do try to check my DMs there. I do not check <laughs> my LinkedIn DMs. So there are many of you waiting for responses. That there. is probably a smart <laughs> thing. <laughs> LinkedIn DMs are a bit of a dumpster fire. And actually, so the cohort, how does that work with Vitalize? You guys do a different cohort every, how long? Every month. So you oh, start every month. Very cool. You start with 20 or 30 other people. And then we make sure to do some onboarding trainings. And then you'll have access to some on-demand trainings that that Justin and I have put together, um, which is at whatever pace you want to do it. Um, and every month we make sure that you see at least one company for investment. Awesome. Very cool. Well, we'll definitely leave a link to all that in the show notes. And I think uh, we'll try to get the word out about some of the future cohorts too. So uh, appreciate you coming on, Gail. Thank you. Thanks, Harry. Thanks, Colin.